0: Hi, guys. I hope you had an amazing week. Um, I quite enjoyed the sun, actually. On Wednesday, I took the girls to the river in Essex and it was awesome. So, yes, um, I don't know. I've got only one week left before I go back to work. So it looks like my lockdown is coming to an end. And just just had a good week, I guess. Uh, It's been a bit weird. And a bit, the reason why I'm doing this podcast today is because my week started a bit weird. I had a bit of an existential crisis. I mean, I guess I'm still on it, but it's like I see things more clearly. And I'll I'll get to it towards the end uh, when I'm talking about learning to be alone and stuff like that. But anyway, so I'm talking about separation and life after separation or divorce and especially if you are in your 40s. Um, Okay so I have given you at some different points a few hints about um, my relationship with David and how why we ended and stuff like that but I think I have to give it a bit more background. First of all I have to say I think that I had an amazingly successful marriage which unfortunately didn't last forever but it was amazing I just I mean my memory and I've talked about it with David and we both feel that it was a beautiful marriage it was absolutely awesome I really really think I was we were both very very lucky um, and so we met when I was 23 and David was 20 and then from there it's like there were ups and downs, but we were always a really strong team of really, 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 really good friends. I think we really found in each other a lot of what we needed. And it was, uh, it was really amazing. I think it was, in lots of ways, it was life-saving. We were the kind of people, we were such close friends, and we liked each other's company so much that even when we were having difficult times, we were always very... It was really easy always to talk about things. And it's like we had very constructive arguments. We were not scared of confrontation. And for the most part, it was very constructive. We always learned, we always rethought and listened to each other and everything. So I think it made us much stronger, actually. But I think one of the mistakes that we did is we didn't give each other or no, we didn't give ourselves a lot of alone space. We enjoyed each other's company and we got along so well that we didn't create a separate space. So I think, for example, I always liked live music an awful lot. And David loves uh, adrenaline, like very high adrenaline sports. But because I wasn't into the high adrenaline sports and he wasn't into live music, I think we stopped doing little things like this that are a very important part of ourselves. But again, this didn't catch up with us until later on. and it was, um, I think it was slow. I mean, and I'm going to, I'm not going to deny it. I think a lot of people will be able to agree that once you have children, it puts a certain strain into the relationship, no matter how how strong you are. And I have to say, and I'm going to say, and I say it all the time, I'm never going to get tired of saying this. David was absolutely amazing. He's an amazing father. I wish I had him as a dad, to be honest. During my pregnancies, he was so understanding and extremely supportive and the amount of shit he handled so well. It was amazing. And then during birth, for both of the girls. He was amazing. Anything I said, he did. He was like the perfect partner you could ever have for anything, for to give birth at any point in time. And after I had, after I had the girls, it was amazing. The thing is, before we had the girls, we always said, we had this idea that um, before we had the girls, I said I didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom. And he said he would be very happy to be a stay-at-home dad. However, by the time that we had the girls, he was earning so much more money than me that it didn't make sense. And I was really unhappy with my job. I didn't like it at all. That it didn't make sense for him to not work. And it made sense for me to stay at home. But that kind of uh, that together with the anxiety and the loss of uh, self of becoming a mum, kind of brought me into uh, postnatal depression. And it took us quite a while to identify it. But then when we identified it, it was David, the one that pushed me through, pulled me through. And he supported me in anything. And then I ended up training as a personal trainer. And anything I did, David supported me. And I think in every single thing he did, I supported him. I completely and I still completely blindly believe in him. I think he's the best worker that in the world that anyone would be lucky to have him as an employee. And he's also, I think one of David's biggest problems, perhaps, is uh, he's always trying to spoil and make everyone happy. And sometimes he forgets a bit about making himself happy, I think. Uh, And I think I took on a bit too much the role of taking care of everyone and I kind of didn't take too much care of myself. So that didn't destroy us, but I think that started chipping a bit about a bit at us. And then, as the girls grew a bit older, uh, I found a bit my feet when I started working as a personal trainer. And David was going through a rough time, but he wasn't, uh, perhaps because of his family and the way that they don't deal with their own feelings. He was in denial. He didn't let me help him. Um, he started. Uh, just. I start, He He became very aggressive in his language to the point that I didn't feel like I could communicate. And something broke. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this is because something I've realized and I think something that is omnipresent and a lot of people are in denial. Except in cases where... There is an abuser, there is major betrayal. When a marriage breaks, with the exception of these things, it takes two to tangle. And when you are only going to blame the other person and you take no responsibility, then that is, that is wrong. That there is the reason why you're not going to be able to ever have an, a strong, loving relationship with your ex, is because you take no responsibility. And I don't think in this there is one responsible. I think it's something that happened to both of us. I think it's something that both of us have wished time and time again, that it never happened, that we never broke up, that we stayed. I mean, and actually we went through a year and a half of couples therapy and the one thing I kept talking about was I wanted to switch. I wanted to switch that I will switch and it will make me fall in love with David again. But I think at some point something is broken and I think you need to discover something about yourself or you need to repair something about yourself. And without that repair, which take may take, may take a, a long time, you cannot really repair the relationship. So when things started going back, it started, so basically David has this thing. So both of us have a defense mechanism that comes a lot from the way we were raised. So David was raised in a family where the only emotion that was valid and recognised was anger. So that was the only emotion that he could accept in himself. Even though I think in general he's extremely emotionally uh, developed and mature, I think there is something when things get bad that is the only thing that he really is aware about and accepting on himself. And I am someone that is not uncomfortable with confrontation, and that is someone that I am. I think we can all be different, and we can all disagree, and we can all confront it, and we can all behave in lots of different ways. But the one thing is, when I think I am not being heard, because I was grow because I grew up with a mom that shouted at me and did not hear me or listen. She, I was this is like a dictatorship one way. It means that when someone starts talking to me in a way in which I don't feel able to respond, I Isolate. I separate from that person emotionally. I close off because it's a protective, it's self-protection. So both of us, when things started going bad, started putting these shields of self-protection, and it's a shame, I think, because perhaps if both of us had lifted those two shields or had dealt with it in a different way, perhaps we would still be together. But this chipped away, and it took about now a year and a half for me to confront him and say, we need couple therapy and uh, it took me a while because first he got really angry at me, but eventually he agreed. But then there was a process, and then I was suddenly going to therapy full-time, and he was rejecting too, although the the therapist had suggested that he will get his own therapy, he rejected it uh, because, and I understand just because of the background, and I think it's really, really important when we analyse why we behave in certain ways and why we are a certain way and why we react to things in a certain way. We're not evil. Nothing is simplistic. It all comes from our background and the experiences that we have lived and the way we have grown in our childhood, in the environment in which we we had grown and how we learned to deal with things. And I think this is really important. And this is not to complain about our parents. We all have our traumas. I think both his parents and my my mum, they had lots of issues in themselves. And unfortunately, they're a generation that is doesn't find it easy to deal with any of these things, therefore they just like they're like bulls and they just straddle alone and just along and just uh just they just deal with things with their head fest, head first and destroying everything on the way just to be able to carry on forward um and we are the consequence of this generation, so you could argue that it was their parents that really fucked up, which I actually think is probably true um I have to say that I believe that both me and David were loved very much. I just don't think that all parents knew how to love in the right way. And I'm not saying that David or I or anyone in our generation got it right. But I I do think and I do hope that we get it. We're getting it much better than our parents did. And that with each generation we improve our parenthood with more self-awareness of it. But anyway, so I think... um, well, we went to couples therapy. Uh, eventually, David realized that he needed to go to therapy. But I think by the time, by that time, it was perhaps too late. And David and I worked so hard at couples therapy, so, so hard. Because I think what we realized is that I mean, and I have to say that we went from being best friends and being able to talk about anything, which we are doing again now, to suddenly it was like one was speaking Russian and the other one was speaking. I don't know, uh, I don't know uh, any 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 crazy language, Brazilian. It was really, like, completely different languages. And I remember this conversations in which it's like, we, we are not hearing each other, we don't understand each other at all. And this was coming out a lot on ther- in therapy, and I can't tell you, we did a year and a half of couples therapy, and it was so fucking heartbreaking. It was soul-destroying, it was exhausting, it was draining, it was sad, it was angering, it was just so, the the hardest thing I've ever done. But I am so fucking happy that we did it. Of course, the best outcome would have been if we had fallen back in love and everything would be okay, but it wasn't. But what it made us realise was that our biggest struggle was in thinking that because we ended as a couple we had to end in any other way and after a year and a half of couple therapy we decided after trying on a romantic date not doing very well we decided to separate but we also decided that we were going to put our own definition to our relationship we decided we're best friends and we're a family and any potential boyfriends or girlfriends can come into the family but they cannot separate the family. So the family is first. And our relationship is first. I mean, not first from any other romantic relationship, but it's really, really important. It's key to who we are. We grew up together and we are each other's kind of um, support system. And also we understand, we know each other better than anyone else, but potentially knows uh, each either of us. So that was it. And that was a separation. And I have to say that for the first few months, it was really difficult. And it was cold. It was like, there was love, but it was like, we didn't know we had to learn how to be friends, not being a couple, actually. And that was very interesting. And then at one point, and I think it was when David told me that he was dating Chris. I think that was the point in which we realized, actually, yes, we are best friends, which is not a couple anymore. And when people ask me, I mean, and I know lots of our friends have struggled a lot and saying, but maybe you'll get back together. I think you'll get back together eventually because you're such good friends. Or are you not jealous? Are you really, really not jealous? And I'm, no, I'm not really jealous. I am very protective of David. And as much as I like Christianet, I am first for David. I'm always going to look up for David's happiness and welfare first. Um, But... I am not jealous and I actually want him to be happy and I want him, whoever makes him happy, to be happy. <laughs> and um, and that's it. And I'm just happy that I've got my best friend back. But yes, I think a lot of people are really scared and especially I think it com- comes more from men that they're really, really scared of going to couples therapy. I also think that uh, another thing is there is a lot of talk about men saying how women use sex against them. And I I, I want to talk about this. And at some point, I think I want to talk about sex. I'm going to do a whole thing. Or Well, there's so many different things that you can talk about sex about. But, I mean, I want to talk about sex uh, in a man. I mean, how men view sex and experience sex and women view and experience sex. But I think, and I, I explained this to David quite a few times, especially after we had the goals. So I think that in a relationship... For women, or even even if it's a one night stand, for us, women, sex uh, is not such a, a physical thing. It, there has to be a combination of intellectual, being in an intellectual place mentally, in which you are, your brain is enabling you or wanting you to have sex. There's the emotional side that even if you don't have feelings emotionally, you have to connect with that person in a way that is. It makes it sexually comfortable. And then there is the physicality of it. And I mean, and you're talking with someone that is very liberated and I will say that I'm quite promiscuous and all of that. But even then, I still think that you need to have all of these things. You need to have the mental, the emotional and the physical side. If one of these things is very out of sync, either sex is not going to be good or you're going to reject having sex. This is why no matter what happened, when a woman says... So no matter what happened 10 seconds before, if a woman says no, it's no. And this is because one of these things is thrown off balance. And no matter what, that has to be listened to. Anyway, I, I just I just went a bit off-tandard here. So um, why am I saying this? Why am I coming to the sex thing? Oh, yes, because basically... Um, I think um, with any relationship, there are moments in which... Yeah, because, I mean, we we don't use it. The only problem is if something is not functioning, a man still needs the physical side of having sex, and he can disengage in, in most of the other ways. And I think this comes from a lot of what is in our nature as men and women. And because I always say... we. I, I don't believe in equality because I think we are different. And I embrace those differences. I believe in equanimity. We are the same worth, but we have to appreciate those differences. And the fact is, if you piss me off, I may not feel like makeup sex if I don't feel that the, the resolution has happened or I don't feel the emotional connection at that point. Or if I feel drained, and actually I may feel completely out of it for something that has nothing to do with the relationship. I may be feeling so shit about myself or about something that happened that has nothing to do with my partner that that doesn't mean that I don't find my partner attractive and that I'm not emotionally attached to them. It just means that sex is not there for me because emotionally or intellectually I am not there or maybe I'm just physically too exhausted. So About the thing of, and I mean, and I have to say that although I think David and I had a very healthy sexual relationship, sex life, there were lots of moments in which there were dry spells. And usually David will be able to agree that the dry spells came with me being so miserable and stressed at university that I couldn't cope. Uh, Me being so exhausted and Anxious about after having the girls, that I just couldn't cope. Me being so tired with having two toddlers that I was too tired physically, even if I wanted to engage. And I always said to him, Look, if we ha- could have it during the day or in the morning, it will be fine. But the problem is at night, by the time we get to bed, I am so tired. And I don't know, I think it's really important for men to hear this that um, is what. At, uh, in, in every single level, men and women, the way we can approach sex is very different and it doesn't mean that women are using it against men. Although I can also see certain circumstances when there is a lot of chauvinism in a relationship, when a woman will use it. But I don't think it's the case in most relationships. So I think um, I am actually a bit lost here because I can't remember exactly why I, talk- I was talking about this thing about women using sex. But anyway, I think I've made my point. Now, the other thing I have, say, I have to say is that for a long time during our crisis and once we were in couple therapy, so often I didn't see a way out. And I kept thinking about separation and what it might mean. And we have to realise a few things. As I mean, David has supported me financially always. Um, he graduated, his first graduate job, he paid for my degree. I hated my degree. I probably did it, chose it a bit pressurised. Not because he put a lot of pressure on me, but because because he was giving me the option, I felt like I had to choose something reasonable. And I think that was potentially a big mistake. And is not, he's not to blame. I probably, I am to blame. And just, and that's it. It's, it's a decision I made and that's it. So I was never really happy in my career. And then I, we had the goals. So then with my second one, there was the opportunity of redundancy. And I realized I didn't want to work in a, at an office anymore. So I stayed with the goals for a while. And then I did courses because I wanted to do courses. And I started businesses. And David supported me through everything. But I was there so that he could work. He could travel for work. I was there when he was tired. I was making him dinner. I was there to give him a hug. I was there to listen to him when he was pissed off or burned out by work. I was his support system. We were a family and we were a team. And he was going out there to work. But I was working in the house for the girls and for the family. And I was the carer of the family. I think it's really, really important. And you have to think that I'm a feminist and I don't enjoy staying at home. But I think... A lot of the time, we forget the fact that to a certain point, we may be neglected on our own careers, because we feel this instinctive responsibility to take care of everyone in our family, of our kids and our partners. And I, like, I loved personal training. But what I realized is that there was a combination of factors. It was like, I really, really loved working at the gym as a personal trainer, but Towards the end, with the stress of my relationship with David not working very well and us not being able to communicate very effectively and personal training being most of the clients being early morning and late evening, what I found is that suddenly the girls, I saw them so stressed and it was because David was working late, we were arguing a lot and I was hardly there. We never knew when I was going to be there early morning or late evening. And it all became so stressful. And together with the, the the falling down, I mean, the crumbling of our relationship, it was really, really hard. So I think sometimes I feel like, oh, I should have pushed more toward myself. But at all times, it was always a measurement of what can I do? And it was a lot of uh, this imposter syndrome and also feeling professionally. So my last job before, I, I mean, when I got made redundant, when I was pregnant with Violeta, completely destroyed my professional confidence, I have to say. But then every other job that I could have, which was a more practical job, more hands-on, I found it very difficult to to provide a, the right balance of being part of a family and doing the job and supporting David in his job So although sometimes I feel like I didn't work enough and I didn't support financially, the family enough, I also think that at the core of it, other than professional um, lack of confidence, there was a lot of thinking, but the family has to be balanced and in equilibrium. And every single time I went to work, the happiness that I was getting and the satisfaction I was getting from my professional life, I saw a decline on the balance and the happiness in my family life. And I think that is something that I don't know whether other people could see, but it was something that I felt a lot. And it made it very difficult for me to commit completely to anything. So there there is, I mean, so... So that's something that I think is is really important in what I'm going to talk about, which is about being a woman separating in your 40s and being divorced or or stuff like that and what it's like. Um, I also have to say, actually... Yeah, because I was talking about the fear of separation. So I was really scared in the financial way. But I was also very scared because David and I had always been such a team and such a support system. And I actually trying to understand my life without David in my life and without being able to talk to David or being able to to share things with him, it was traumatizing for me. And I was so scared that I kept trying to cling on, but for the wrong reasons. And perhaps if I had let go of that fear, which is easier said than done, and I had just... uh, just try to work it out, just to see if it could be worked out. Perhaps that would have made a difference. But at that point, all I was scared was, how is life going to be without David, How outside of David? What What's going to happen to me? And how am I going to live without him as part of my family, as my best friend? Um, but I have to say that that fear is massive. And massive until the moment you decide you're doing it and once you do it you realize the release and the relief and the suddenly sudden acceleration of losing that weight of your shoulder and i think is both the same for him and for me because we've talked about it and he also had that fear and then the relief was massive i also have to say that i know there are people that um they have enough with being very good friends and being family and they stay together forever and I don't know. I guess, my guess, because I find it really difficult to judge on other people's personalities and lives. My guess will be that there is a group of people, a massive amount of people that are very unhappy having that kind of relationship for the rest of their lives. But that's their only option, the way they see it, or the way they've brought up, or by whatever, whatever circumstances. And then there are people that genuinely they are not so romantically needy or so romantically passionate or so romantically invested and they can have a very satisfactory forever marriage because they become friends and suddenly that's enough and I mean I applaud them if you're doing it for the right reasons I applaud you if you're doing it and being unhappy about it then I'm afraid I feel really sorry for you because I don't think that that's enough I think happiness whatever brings you happiness if being in a relationship that's only friendship with your partner is it makes you happy then yes you but if you are doing it for some other reason and you are unhappy you're not doing yourself or anyone else any favors and in that case I'm not that proud of you I'm afraid even if and if you say you do it for your children I'm sorry but no because what you're teaching your children is that being unhappy is okay so Basically, being just friends wasn't good enough for us. And that's why we separated. Now, (laughs) the last year and a half, um, gone to work full time as a chef. And at points I've hated it and at points I loved it. What I realized is, I also have to say I was very financially comfortable with David because he's amazing at his job and he earns lots of money. As a chef, um, you get underpaid consistently, you work really hard, it requires a lot of skill, it requires a lot of passion, but we are paid a ridiculous amount of money, like something stupid, something that is hospitality should be ashamed of. Um, So, but apart from that, I don't, I love the kitchen, but I don't want to be only in the kitchen. And all I kept thinking is I've got so many more skills and I want to use nutrition and I want to use personal training. And I went blinded at the same time, trying to learn about motherhood, being so tired, but suddenly I have to do some everything myself. However, can I point something out? And it's something that my friend Elena told me years ago because she was separated and she had the two kids and she was working full time. And I asked her. And she said to me, and I said to her, are you not tired? And she says, you know what? The amazing thing is that when you're living with a partner and you have to consistently ask them to do something to help in the house, it becomes very frustrating. But once it's only you, it's, it don't, it's not frustrating. You just do it because there's no one else, but the frustration goes away. And I have to say, yes, absolutely, yes. Because one of the things that I realized is that when I was, when I only have myself to rely on and I'm not expecting someone else to take on something, and waiting for them to feel like doing it or feel or have to ask a couple of times. It's such a fucking liberation. It's amazing. It's like I don't, I don't get frustrated with anyone else because it's down to me. I'm not sharing the job with anyone else. So that is, is so fucking amazing, actually. I think this is one of the things, and I think this is one of the things that women potentially appreciate the most about separation. There's only, uh, he's not doing it, but it doesn't matter because it's only down to me, rather than we are both here, we are both parents, we are both working, but I'm doing everything unless I ask and then I have to bitch, or I'm, na- I'm, I'm nagging, or then I'm being told that I am nagging. So that was quite liberating. As to what was quite liberating, is suddenly going to all these music concerts and just, I just think, just having the freedom, not having to ask permission, not having to check whether it's okay with someone, just being able to be free and dating. Did I go dating crazy? Oh my God. Um, yeah, I don't know. There was lots of things. There was, uh, I think, I'm very lucky because I think in especially living in London or the way we live now, we don't have the same village or family support system that they used to have many years ago, which is a loss. But I think I am very fortunate because I do have amazing friends that are like family. I've got David, my ex, who is fucking amazing. So I've been very lucky because although it's a bit harder is I also feel like I I am very well supported and I have an amazing support system. And although I am alone in terms of a couple, I am not lonely. And in fact, one of my first, and actually the most serious relationship I had from dating sites, which lasted about three months, it was from, I mean, it broke up for a couple of reasons. Um. And I don't know which one came first, or whether one wouldn't have mattered if the other wasn't there. There were two reasons. One is Paul voted for Brexit, and this for me was unforgivable, especially because he could not understand that he voted against me being here. Uh, he had one of these preconsum pre pre, pre- I, mean, I don't know it's like preconceptions that this stereotype of who people that were coming here were where, and what they were doing. And the other one was the fact of him not giving me space. He's in his house, I mean, he's in my house. I said to him from the beginning, I've got the girls, I've got my friends, I sometimes want to be alone, I've got the gym. And yet, he could not respect my need for my space, and he was always on me. And suddenly, with us living in different houses and only having spent three months together, I felt like I had a husband breathing down my neck. And it was the most claustrophobic thing ever. And no matter how many times I explained it, there was no way of him understanding. And I can't blame him. In, we are all different. But that's one of the things. Um, this, um, I'm, I'm a romantic. I want to fall in love. I want to find someone. But I want it in certain terms. And I want to have certain expectations. I want support. And I want to... to Someone to take care of me and not be the only one that takes care of someone. And I guess also because David spoiled me so much. I was never spoiled until David. And he still spoils me. I want someone to spoil me again. But I want to spoil them too. Which I think, hopefully, I also do. And the companionship and stuff like that. But, guys, what I've realized, and this is part of my existential crisis. What I realized is that... My job right now is learning to be alone, learning to be in a relationship, in a very happy relationship with myself, is to understand myself, get to know myself, accomplish things that I want to accomplish for myself. And only when all of these things have happened and I'm not desperate to look for support care, love, companionship, and being spoiled by someone else, when I can provide myself with all of this, will I be able to find the right person? Or maybe I don't even have to look for them then. Then that person just, we find each other. But yes, I think this is something that, yeah, okay. So if I have to give three bits of advice to anyone in a similar situation or who can ever end up in a similar situation or who is a bit lost at the moment. It's one, if you want to have a happy, loving relationship with your ex or your future ex or with whoever you end up a, a, an amazing relationship with, take responsibility. Always take responsibility, admit to that responsibility and work with that person and communicate even if it's towards ending it. The second thing is find yourself and listen to yourself. First, learn to be alone and learn to have a good relationship with yourself. And third is don't let the fear get in the way of anything ever. And this is it. And I hope, I don't know, I'm so passionate about this and it's like, it's been a bit of an emotional, like I go from sad to happy. I hope that I've helped you in any way. Again, I would love to, for you to tell me of any thoughts and experiences or anything that you may have. You know, I'm on Instagram as a Raw Womanhood Podcast. I'm on Facebook exactly in the same way. You can follow me or subscribe or share. I'm on iTunes, I'm on Spotify and on SoundCloud. And guys, keep looking for the silver lining and be very happy. Have a nice week, guys. And be safe. Bye.